everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marilyn Ameriquin. And I'm Leah Padilla Chwafe. And you're listening to On Her Element. <laughs> We're so glad to have you back. Um, we, you know, it's zero time for us, but this has been about a week for you guys. So we're excited to have you back for season two. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this season because we're going to be, the theme for the next couple of episodes is going to be talking about different adversities that we personally have faced in our lives. Um, So we're going to be navigating just different aspects from faith, college, and this episode specifically, we're going to be talking about race um, because, you know, we're two women of color and race affects us. <laughs> and sometimes people get really upset, like when I talk about race a lot and like, it's like one of those things where it's like, mm, but it's something that happens to a lot of people of color on a daily basis. And so I personally know that the people who like talk about race a lot tend to be people who are not people of color. So because they don't have to experience it. So if you're upset that I talk about race a lot, then I don't know, go educate yourself. Maybe I'm not for you. Maybe this podcast is not for you. So yeah. And with that being said, we know that we are still unpacking a lot of things when it comes around mm-hmm. race and where we fit in. So we do want we do not want to minimize anyone's um, story or experience. We also know that people dedicate years and years of research to race, race relations um, and how those are such a critical um, component of life in America. So we Mm -hmm. want to first be very grateful and also very understanding that we can only begin to touch the surface of, um, with our own experiences of these um, very tough, difficult topics and um, hope to be able to unpack as we learn and unlearn as we um, understand and create a space of belonging. So just uh, from our hearts to yours, um, really asking for a lot of grace and understanding on both parts. And we're very grateful to researchers who um, Mm -hmm. dedicate their entire life to diversity, equity, inclusion, race relations. So, and belonging. So, and also something I also want to mention too, is that we are talking on our own personal experiences. So like, also you are part of the Latina community and I'm part of the black African community Um, and so we're both I mean we're not from monolithic groups our groups are like very diverse and there's so many different experiences so what we're going to talk about is things that happen personally to us and how we personally view the world that doesn't mean it's the same for everyone else in our own like racial groups this is just things that have happened a lot before to us and to probably to some of our peers as well so just as a heads up that this our stories may not be everyone's stories. It's just our own personal stories and how we've been treated and how like we view the world. So I just want to put that out there. And that also means that we have to understand other people's stories and not minimize their experience. And I think that that happens a lot. Um, Oh, Mm -hmm. but you're okay. Oh, but you're fine. Oh, but you know, in the extreme it's, Oh, but you weren't enslaved. Right. You're right. But generationally, (laughs) generationally, like, what does that mean for me, for my family? Um, You know, so I just wanted to add that disclaimer um, in our respect 
to journalists and researchers who take their time to um, understand this and bring this to the light. I think that we're living in a very unique time where we can talk about this. I think 20 years ago, our parents didn't talk about race relations the same way that we're talking about now so freely. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't think that there was a platform to do it. And here we are, two girls with a computer and a mic with poor audio. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> we're working on it. We know um, being able to have a platform where it's going to be streamed on Google Play and Apple Play and uh, Spotify. So so awesome. So we're just going to yeah. like just dive right into it, honestly. So I'm going to give the floor to Maria Elena, and I kind of yeah. want you to tell a story that you've realized like race was at play and what yeah. that meant to you and like dissect it for us too as well. So it's funny because the story happened in 1997 as best I can remember. So were you even alive in 97? I was a year old in 99. Okay. Okay. So we know it was September of 97. So you were only like 11 months old. Okay. Still. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a pretty white neighborhood. Um, and I went to a s- elementary school that had a couple of black kids. And then there was mm-hmm. maybe two Latinas. Her name was Melissa and mm-hmm. my name was Marilena. And we both had M last names. So we were always mm-hmm. next to each other. Uh-huh. Um, and we didn't look anything alike, but people would confuse us. <laughs> mm, okay, but, but, you know. but that's not the story. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I, remember, I remember this distinctly that she was the only other Latina that I'd seen until about middle school in school until middle school or high school. And then it became, we became a more magnet school and, and it was like one high school for for the whole town. So everybody went to that same high school. Hmm. So, um, but this was an experience that I had in Mrs. Zimmerman's first grade class. And um, you have to remember in first grade, my parents were getting divorced. Um, my stepdad was moving in um, and it was just, all of it was really traumatic. So uh, I don't remember a lot of what happened in first grade, except for a couple of handful of things. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever told my parents about it. Mm-hmm. I just remember I was asked this question, like, when was the first time that you knew you were different? And this mm-hmm. is kind of the question that I formed when we were writing our like script, our, our show notes. Mm -hmm. is when did I know that I was different? And I went to the Puerto Rican Community Daycare Center, which still exists. And and it's exactly that, right? Like I was in a place where there was culture. We ate good food. We didn't eat like stupid American cafeteria food. (laughs) Honestly, Um, y'all living the life. (laughs) And I explored my culture. I danced plena. Like that's where I learned that I loved dance and music. Um, so from, from when I was like about two and a half till when I was like four going into kindergarten, I was in a very diverse like area. My parents Mm. are in, in and of themselves are multicultural, multi, um, multi, multicultural. And so 
when I went to first grade, I mean, kindergarten was fine. Like, I think kindergarten, you're too young to kind of like understand. Mm -hmm. But um, Ms. Zimmerman asked us to draw a self portrait. Mm -hmm. And in the 90s, (laughs) we had white, brown, or peach. (laughs) We didn't have we didn't have all of the amazing color crayons that we have now. Thank you, Crayola, for creating colors that can show what I look like. And so I I took the peach color crayon and started coloring my skin in. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and, but like, I'm not a dark person, right? Like, right. You, yeah, like I tan, but I'm not a dark person. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes I complain I'm too white. <laughs> so I I take this peach crayon and Ms. Zimmerman, and I, she's dead now, but I hope that she she doesn't, um, I hope she didn't do it on purpose. I don't think she did. It was the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a first grade teacher, I don't think you have bad intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and here I am rationalizing, right? Like mm, even yeah. 20 some odd years later, I'm rationalizing why, her. Why, why are you rationalizing her? Right. Like I'm, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt, but, um, she said, you can't use that color. You need to use the brown. Uh, oh, uh, that's the color of your skin. Okay. Um, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so I was shocked here I was and I you know I'm I was sassy as ever like just because I was seven doesn't mean that I didn't know how to defend myself I was like but that's not the color of my skin right she goes she goes but you're not white so you mm. can't use a peach one mm. okay mm. 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 and I can't remember if I defiantly colored myself in peach or if I colored myself in, in brown like she wanted mm-hmm. me to mm-hmm. I have a feeling that knowing me I probably would have done the defiant thing <laughs> um I got in trouble a lot for being defiant I loved it <laughs> <laughs> honestly um, that's how you're making moves now so <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah and like I did not remember that story. It didn't necessarily impact my life, like daily, day to day. Mm -hmm. But I remember being in a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging workshop. And someone asked, like, when was the first time you felt different? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was definitely that day. Like, that's the first memory that I have of being different, Mm -hmm. is realizing, like, here's this person of authority telling me who I am. And that I am different than what mm. I see myself as. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, in retrospect here, I think it was like 20 years later, I was probably 27 or mm-hmm. um, maybe even younger, 25, between 25 and now. So mm-hmm. when I had this conversation and um, I really began to unpack that and realize like, oh my gosh, like I grew up in a society where whiteness was the, um, the gold standard. And I realized like, even in my, like in my culture where we're all some shade of Brown, 
colorism still exists. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I think the the last experience that I had where I was just like, I had it was talking to my father um, and the death of George Floyd. And my dad goes, but you're not black. Mm. And my response, every, every hair on my head stood up and I was like, mm-hmm. then if you think that if you're seen as white, then you don't get it. And it reminded me of this time when I was seen as brown and I was told that I had to use this other crayon Mm -hmm. because I wasn't white. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we can unpack that together. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But you know, and I think that we do this, like we give people the benefit of the doubt and we say like, no, it can't be that bad. Like they didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. Or, or we go into this denial because we're like, we're badass women. Like right. I was a, I was a, yeah, I struggled with reading and writing, but also trauma and my parents were getting divorced and mm-hmm. a new person was moving into the house. And like, so yeah, you could probably understand why I was struggling to read and write. Mm-hmm but I was a critical thinker even then, right? Like even remembering, knowing that I probably would have defiantly colored in the, the peach instead of the brown. Mm-hmm. I feel the, no, keep, keep going. Sorry. No, no, no. That's it. I, that's, that's my story. I feel the part that I kind of want to dwell on for a minute that intrigued me is the part where you're like still rationalizing it. Um, because for a lot of people of color, I don't want to say for as people of color, but I will say for a lot of people of color, especially in America. So I want to preface like in the context of America, since we're both Americans, women of color in America, um, there's a lot of times where we really try like, we like gaslight ourselves. That's how I'm going to put it. Like we like gaslight ourselves and thinking, oh, like it's not too bad or, oh, they didn't mean it that way. Or like, oh, they just didn't know. And like, we shouldn't have to do that because I feel personally for a very long time, it's always people of color that have to take the burden for somebody else's, usually in the case of a white person, a person that's not of color for their mistakes, their mishaps, or their Mm. kind of like, I don't know, misunderstanding of race or their microaggression, right? Like we take the burden, like, oh, they understand. And it's one of those things where I think, especially now in 2021, we're in a time and space where like, you have so many resources to educate yourself. They, we live in a very diverse society. We recently just had, we're coming off like the second wave of like the Black Lives Matter movement. We're seeing like in cinema and entertainment, like more people of color, like, being represented right so like especially now we're in a stage of like you don't really have an excuse to like not be aware what's going on and if you don't take the time to educate yourself there's so many resources to do that Mm -hmm. and I think that that's the problem is that the people who think that there is no problem don't feel like they need to educate themselves Mm -hmm. no it's true no it's that it's very, very true. And that's the 
I know that's just like the super disheartening part because I mm-hmm. as I was doing I was doing research um kind of like on our topic because I kind of like want to bring you maybe some stats or like some no. expertise <laughs> yeah put my glasses adjust 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 glasses like a nerd <laughs> adjust glasses um I was reading a lot of things about conversations of race and there's yeah. this really cool article um on PBS and in the podcast links I'll like put the links to all the stuff that I found that I thought was really interesting and this part of this podcast uh not this podcast this link from Linda Trope she's a professor of race relations at University of Massachusetts in Amherst um and she uh talked about conversations of race and what does that look like and one Mm. thing that she said that I thought was really interesting was She said, and I'll quote, and I say, I focus on the responsibility of whites first because I think oftentimes people of color or black people in particular will complain about feeling like you have to educate white people and it gets tiresome. And especially in these types of discussions where race enters your life on a day-to-day basis, to have to say, yes, race is an issue seems a bit tiring, a bit taxing. Um, So what I'm not, I'm not trying like, shame white people that's not what I'm trying to do I'm not trying like other them but when it comes to our experiences we people of color we kind of gaslight ourselves and thinking oh they didn't mean it that way oh it's fine oh it wasn't actually and I don't think we realize like the gravity of the situation and Mm -hmm. it's like really really bad and I think a lot of times you see we're always the one fighting for rights, fighting for all these things. And like, you need allies everywhere, Mm. but especially in a society that really was built for white people by white people, essentially. For white men, right? For white men specifically. Right. And to protect white women. Right. So like when you're in society that's built that way, Mm you need to have white people to have be into these conversations because they have to realize their own biases, their own prejudices mm-hmm. and like what that means. So I, I just like, just find it interesting that you like still like kind of gaslight yourself. Well, and I was like, no, and it's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny that as you're saying it, like I'm thinking about the fact that maybe that was the moment where I stopped. And, and now I'm having this like very internal thought as I'm listening mm-hmm. to you chat. Maybe that's the moment when I decided, no, I'm going to reject everything that's ethnic, everything that's brown, Mm -hmm. like only have white friends, only listen to quote white music or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, my sister like told me I did when I was in high school and college, like Mm -hmm. um, straighten my hair, you know, dye it ridiculous colors. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's when it started. Mm -hmm. And I... mm -hmm. I don't have a time machine, so I can't tell you if that's when it started, but I can say that if that, from a psych, from a psyche perspective and all the work that I've done with my inner child, mm-hmm. that if that is the moment where I thought that I was different, that could also very much be in the moment when I chose to reject any sort of ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not even, it's not, um, to me, it seems like it's very logical to when I went to first to second grade saying, oh, no, my name is not Marilena. My name is Mary. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's when I started calling myself Mary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, I can just see the progression to 
um, to straight up rejecting um, my ethnicity. Yeah, no, I can totally relate to that too. Like I know in a couple episodes before we've talked about like our background. So we both come from immigrant households, which I think is also another layer to as well. Like not only are we people of color, we are people who come from immigrant households. Like what first, like I'm first gen American. So like you, you are too, right? So like, so it gets tricky, right? Because my parents were, my grandparents were born in Puerto Rico in the forties. I I just told my grandparents kind of what age they are. Whoops. Um, (laughs) Your grandma's really cute. (laughs) She's adorable. Shout out Abuelita. I love you. See you soon. Or see you in the future, I guess. Or in the past, I guess. (laughs) Um, No, but... um, So it was 1952 when the the American government took over the island of Puerto Rico. Mm. So my grandparents grew up in a autonomous but when well, no, it was under it was under the Spanish um crown but oh okay so yeah and so my grandparents were born in Puerto Rico my mom was born in Puerto Rico in the 70s and the 70s already um Puerto Rico was already part of the United States it was already under mm-hmm. colonial rule because that's what's happening still happening in Puerto Rico I'm just saying Lumna, Lumna. They can't see Puerto my Rico, face, I realize. So Puerto let them Rico know. is an American colony, and I would like to make sure that everybody knows that. It's being exploited, and people are dying because America has neglected Puerto Rico. She said it. Mic drop. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Usa. Okay, breathe, breathe, myself. breathe. We're talking We're about. Brave. We're getting bare. I'm getting emotional inside. Yeah, me too. Because it's 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 like it's true. Mm-hmm. So, my mom grew up in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. She was there till she was twelve, and I was the first person in my family to be born on American soil, like in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my same. father was my father was born in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, to say that I'm like the first gen American. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. It gives me a little bit like a pause because Mm -hmm. anybody born after, well, anybody born in Puerto Rico Mm -hmm. is American or has American citizenship. Mm -hmm. But I was the first person to be born in the United States on the mainland Mm -hmm. um, and not live in the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. So so yeah, so just wanted to like clarify that because people no, like, yeah, oh, no, she's, yeah. she's not really an immig- a child of immigrants like mm-hmm. Puerto Rico is America or some people yeah. would also think you need a passport to go to Puerto Rico. So like, No, no, no thank you for clarifying that because I know also in previous episodes we talked about like a little bit about the history of Puerto Rico and I know mm-hmm. I find it interesting because like I don't, I mean, I don't really know like, I don't know, like, 70s onward. I don't know, like, the <laughs> 70s of Puerto Rico, so I'm so sorry. But so, but no, thank you for, like, okay. telling us and, like, telling it how your experience. Like, yeah, like, first person born on American soil, not really first-gen American because, like, anyone after a certain period of yeah. time, like, you are American, which is true. Well, like, no, because of colonization. Well, because of, yeah, because of colonization. Just putting it out there. <laughs> I think we're going to be on a, on a watch list, I'm sure of it. If I'm not already on a watch list, I'll, Honestly, I'll be on it for sure. Me, put me on a watch list. I have a lot of things <laughs> to say. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> 
But no, I was just saying, I think uh, kind of back up what you're saying, my experience was very, has been very similar. Just with realizing, so I'm trying to like backtrack what we were talking about before I got no, to like talk about Puerto Rico. But I was going to say like my experience with yours is very similar in the sense of, I know for me when I think about how I'm different uh, race-wise and everything, there are like like a whole bunch of different moments. And so there's not one in my childhood that sticks out really. I will say that like when, and if you're a person, if you're a black person, then you know I'm about to talk about the talk, right? You've had the talk. And like, usually when you have the talk, you're super, super young. So I had the talk when I was five. And for those who don't know what that means, the talk is when you are a, black person i'm i'm sure other people of color people would do this but like in the black community the talk is like when your parents like sit you down one day and they explain to you that you are black so it's kind of one of those weird things where like they usually do it before society tells you that like they tell you that's what i noticed because a lot of people um a lot of black people i know like they've had the talk from their parents before society tells them they're black so their parents are like know this so when I was five oh no you're crying I'm crying because um this is something that I um I struggle with because we didn't have the talk mm-hmm. we weren't told these things and mm-hmm. my little brother he's a brown man in this country and mm-hmm. he hasn't had the talk right and like he you know like he he knows he's different, but it scares me for, God forbid he has an encounter with the police. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not seen as white. Right. Well, and my little brother, <laughs> my little brother, God bless him, he's a scrawny little nothing. You know, I could still kick his butt. He will be 17 in August. But this is something that terrifies me right Mm -hmm. and like I'm dating someone who's black and I remember one of our first dates Mm -hmm. we were watching this movie which I don't know why he picked it but um I totally cut you off by the way but no no keep keep going it was a movie where these people go on a first date from like tinder and then they Mm -hmm. end up like shooting a police officer do you know which movie i'm talking oh, about it's, it's, it's the movie with is and i forget that man's name yeah but yeah, yeah, do you yeah. remember the name of the story, the name of the movie no but it's with is though right <clears throat> i think so okay okay because i know what you're talking and the man I, I forget his name but he's a brown man south yeah. south yeah yeah, yeah. i know what you're talking. i forget the name no no, no they're both movie. black they're both oh. black okay so i'm thinking about no, they're both movie. black no okay. but I- Anyway, and they end up being fugitives together, and it was like they went from like being on a first date to like being in love, and um, that was the moment when I realized that if I was going to continue <gasps> to date this man, mm-hmm. I was going to be raising black kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I the reason I, I did that I knew I know a movie you're talking about I forget but I know a movie you're talking about I heard it was exactly so good. Mm-hmm. and so like this is something that I carry with me. And I think about five, six, 10 times a day is that 
Mm-hmm. I want to be able to live in a society where we don't have to have the talk with our children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm crying because I, I think about it way too much. So continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no I'm, I knew I was going to cry in this, this podcast episode, but now I'm going to start crying. I'm just going to let myself cry. <laughs> it's fine. Come as you are. You can cry if you want. Um, but no, so... Like, I feel like you said it as well. The talk is something that people, Black people have when they're really, really young. And so you can have it as, you pretty much have the talk whenever you're able to understand. So like, for me, that's like at five. So I remember my mom sat me down and like explained to me that I am Black and that my classmates, my peers, my teachers who were predominantly white were always going to look at me differently. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you're going to have to act a certain way. You have to be the best person in the room. You have to always look presentable. Like my mom, she's a fashionista, right? She, so she really was is. always So she is. She was always dressing up to the nines. One, because that's her style and she likes nice things. But two, she also did that because she didn't want people to view us view us as like oh like poor black kids we didn't have a lot of money but like if you're dressed a certain way people are going to assume things about you they're going to have a stereotype they're going to say they're going to put you in a box and absolutely as a black person the boxes that we tend to be put in are like pretty negative boxes right so my mom is like you have to look prime the best you have to speak well like you So I had that talk essentially when I was five years old. So from five, my mom sat me down and was like, you are black. And since then, I've always had just many instances and most of them like microaggressions, right? Like I think, and I'll tell like a specific story that I've had recently, um, but a lot of just like microaggressions, people give me looks, people like assuming things about me, like, oh, your hair or your skin. Also, I happen to have a very foreign name. My parents are from Cameroon. So like on top of that, there's also that stereotype of like, when it comes to being black in America, I think there's like black Americans, we have our own stereotype. And then we also have black Africans, right? And so I am both, so I fall into both of those stereotypes, right? So I'm the kid with the funny name, with the weird food, like yep. my parents have Smelly accents, food. right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so just all my life, I've always known that I was different. But oh, wait, the story on, that I want to tell. Mm-hmm. When I mean pie smelly food, I mean food that smells different than American food and food that we would have been made fun right. of when we were younger. I'm right. not I'm my not discounting. Heck yeah, it does. My food smells great, but it's just mm-hmm. different than American culture. So I just wanted to add that little caveat. Right, exactly. And so the story that I'm going to tell is this happened recently um, and it involves my boyfriend, who I mentioned in my episode. Um, <laughs> shout out to you. Um, sorry, <laughs> Marilyn, I was like, be quiet. Oh, but in all seriousness, um, so my, I guess for context, my boyfriend works in politics in Kansas City, not Kansas City, he works in Kansas politics. He works at the state capitol there. So, uh, we had a there was a work dinner that he invited me to. So they were touring some facility and I wasn't able to go to the tour, but they like, but I was invited to go to the dinner. So I show up at the restaurant. I like 
go to like the back room. I'm the first person there. Look, I ordered this glass of sangria. Guys, I talk about this sangria a lot. It was so good. It's amazing. But that's beside the point. So anyway, I go, I order my sangria. I sit like in the back of this room, this private room that we're in. And then I hear them like coming in. So I'm like, okay, so I need to obviously like be presentable. And in this dinner, keep in mind, it's, it's a bunch of people that work in politics. So state lobbyists, state centers, the person they're touring this facility with. So like important people in the room. And so I walk up to this guy, we're going to call him Joe. And so like, oh, hi, Joe, I'm Liv Diatropa. He goes, oh, hi, I'm Joe. And so we have like a back and forth. And then Joe hands me his credit card and is like, oh, when we're done with the meal, just like swipe the tab. And me and my naive self, I'm like really confused in this moment because this is also like a new environment for me. So I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And I was like, is he like trusting me with his car? Like, does he think I would like, I was just so confused. And after like a back and forth, I was like, um, I don't know, but I'm like here with like my boyfriend, like I'm his guest. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Joe like profusely like apologizes it goes oh I'm so sorry I'm like oh okay like it's I say like it's fine like I was I was I felt like some type of way but I was kind of like you know what I'm here to support my boyfriend and his work whatever so I go we have the dinner I schmooze all the people it's great there um and so I think about throughout the entire weekend though because I was just very confused and I was like I don't think he thought that I was a waiter, right? And like, I also want to keep in mind that I had a glass of sangria. I was wearing a pink turtleneck and black pants. I was on my phone. I did not look like a waiter, y'all. Like I saw the wait staff. They all looked great and nice, but I didn't look like any of them because they're all wearing black and like normal like waitressing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't. Um, and so I I put it like in the back of my mind because I was like, it's probably not a big deal, right? So here I am like gaslighting myself essentially be like, oh, it's probably not like a big deal. And then uh, the Monday that followed, uh, my boyfriend like texted me like randomly like in the afternoon and was like, hey, like Joe just called me to say that like he apologized for mistaking for being like a waiter on Friday. And in that moment, I, I lost it. I was so upset because it was just me realizing what I thought happened actually happened. And it was also a little bit like embarrassment as well, because this man thought that I was aware when I am the girlfriend of one of the staffers on this, uh, like, right, on this thing, whatever. And so the beauty of that moment is that me and my boyfriend, who I mentioned previously, is white. We did end up having a very intense, deep conversation about like race and what that means in our relationship. But that moment, it sticks out to me because it's the most recent moment. But it also sticks out to me because it was in that moment that like I was like very othered. And I was the only like black person, the only person of color at this like dinner that I was at. So it was one of those things where it was just, it was just a reminder, especially with where we live and where we work and like being in my boyfriend's life like I happen to be with and work with a lot of like white spaces so already I'm cognizant of the fact that I am already the other and people probably look at me a certain way so the fact that that happened it just like reconfirmed everything and it made me so it made me so upset and I'm 
I'll be honest, I'm still not over that story. I know, I know, I know you're not over it, and I'm not over it, right? Like, but it's funny. Yeah, so it's funny Mm -hmm. because um, I have a lot of things. I've heard the story before because you we're best friends. I'm sure people Mm -hmm. figured it out by now. Mm -hmm. And um, you're one of the first people I told the story to. I was like, you know what happened this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) But. I think that as I'm listening to it and as I'm listening to how we should be preparing our children or how we're going to prepare children, how your mother prepared you, you are doing everything right. You are dressed well. You speak eloquently. Mm -hmm. You introduce yourself. And someone still thought you were the help. Right. Right. I, oh gosh, I want to start crying right now. Um, right, and so. I know, I know, it just really sucks because, like, like, we, we, we talk about, like, having the talk, right? And the purpose of the talk is to prepare you for what's going to happen. And also, it's a time to give advice, right? In the sense of, like, you got to be the best looking person in society. Like, when you go into a room, you got to outshine the people. And it's not to say, like, in a cocky way, like, if you're going to a way, like, outshine the bride. Like, it's not, like, in that sense. It's, like, you have to look such in a way that nobody will put you in this negative stereotype box. Yeah, like, you cannot be mistaken for the person on the corner with a hoodie. Right. Like that's that's literally Mm -hmm. it. Like, right. And so the fact that I did everything right and still I was considered like the other person just is one of those things where like, no matter how hard I try, I'm always going to be seen as other. And I'm always going to be reminded that I'm black. And it's one of those things Mm -hmm. where like, I just kind of hate it when, this is, gonna, this is still related, but, like, I still I really hate it when people go, like, oh, like, you talk about, like, race too much. Or, like, oh, it's always the focal point of, like, your conversations or whatever. I'm, like, yeah, I maybe talk about a lot, but my experience in this country is so vastly different than my white peers. Mm-hmm. They don't have to wake up and realize, oh, I'm white. I have to function this way today. No. Society yeah. will just be, like, oh, they'll just assume usually the best and keep it pushing but for me I have to wake up in the morning and be like all right where am I going today how's my hair gonna look mm-hmm. what am I gonna look like 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 all of these things I have to I have to think about all of these things right and I have to wake up and realize that I am white and like I just I don't know I just remember specifically I I, I used to work at the the White House I mentioned in college and I remember, I have a distinct memory of one day, I wanted to, like, wear my hair in an afro. So, like, right now my hair is, like, in braids. But, like, I usually wear my hair in braids or an afro. And so I was like, oh, like, I kind of want to wear afro. But I was like, I don't know if that's going to work. And I immediately, like, put my hair in, I don't know, like, a yeah. bun or something. Why can't I wear my hair in an afro? Is my hair grows, my hair grows my hair defies gravity. It grows like that, okay? <laughs> like, I, my hair's not straight. It's not, like, soft, nice waves either. It's, like, a whole, like, afro, right? And then I also remember, like, whenever I would, like, go on, like, first dates with, like, people, for instance, I would always, especially if it was 
not a person of color. So like if it was like a white person I was going like on a date with, I would always be cautious of like what I'm wearing. And I remember one day in particular, this is like pre I met my boyfriend, I was going on a date and uh, I decided to wear my hair in an afro because it was the easiest thing I could do that day. And I remember being so self-conscious and being like, oh my gosh, my hair is in an afro. Like, what is this person going to think? And I felt, I, I was like so nervous because my hair was in a freaking afro. My hair mm-hmm. grows like that. And I was walking down the street in the river market in Kansas City. And I remember these like three or four black ladies literally yelled at me across the street. And they're like, we love your hair. Mm-hmm. And I... Let me tell you, that was the best hype that I need to go into that date. And then I killed it. I mean, also, I did like the guy at the end, though. But, like, that's beside the point. But the yeah. point of the story is, like, why was I scared to go with my hair like that? Because society, which is, like, Eurocentric, white standard standards of beauty, has deemed that me wearing my Afro is unprofessional or, like, not cool yeah. or, like, not beautiful. Right? Yeah. And so, like... I always like talk about these things because like every day in my life in some way I'm reminded that I'm not white, that I'm black, that I'm a dark black person as well. Like colorism Mm -hmm. is a huge thing as well. So I'm always reminded about these things. And like when I think about my kids, like if and when I have kids, like I know that I'm going to have to give them the talk too. Like when they're five, I'm going to sit them down and be like, look, like we're going to have this talk. And it sucks, but like that's reality. And so also mm-hmm. at the same time when white people talk about, oh, like we're too our kids are too young to learn about race, talk to like every black person on the street. They can tell you the time they had the talk. And usually you have the talk between like, I don't know, whenever you're born to like 10, right? Those are pretty young years. And yeah. those are really intense conversations. But like in the black community, every black person has had that talk. So like when you say, oh, I can't teach my kids about race this young. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. So I think that you bring up a couple of things um, just to wrap it up here. Um, I think the one thing is that we're going to have to talk about beauty standards. I think something that we talk about a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> in regards to, to say. Into regards to what we do to make sure that we are presentable. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like understanding that we have to talk about race because no matter what we do or what we say, people see us first mm-hmm. before they hear our voice, before they know our very complicated names, which aren't that complicated. If you could say Schwarzenegger and Luchinsky <laughs> and all those other names. And Dostoevsky, you could say, say Marielena Marroquin and Leo Cadia Chuafe. I, I just want I just wanna say that. If you could say all of these these long, these long white <clears throat> names, Easter you I, if you could say Schwarzenegger, <clears throat> Luchinsky and all, you could say my name. I was gonna put yeah. that out there. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. So um yeah, say my name. <laughs> Awesome. Um, yeah. Oh, say my name. Yeah. Say my name. <laughs> no one is around you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is not a singing podcast. Um, shout out, Desi's child. <laughs> shout out. So, yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. My name is Marilena Mariquin. And I'm Leo Cadia Chuafe. And this and is, is Honor Elamon. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta say, like, yeah, so correctly at until, some point. <laughs> until next time. 
stay hydrated, take your vitamins, and be kind. And always come as you are.